To some, they're works of art or a unique form of expression. To others, they're an abomination. I'm talking about tattoos. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. A new exhibit at the New York Historical Society explores 300 years of tattooing in New York City. It's called Tattooed New York. The exhibit traces tattooing from its roots in Native American body art to its embrace by sailors, soldiers, and circus sideshow performers through its place in mainstream culture today. I recently walked through the exhibit with the most knowledgeable of guides. My name is Christian Petru Panaite, and I'm the curator of Tattooed New York at the New York Historical Society. So, Christian, what inspired this exhibit about tattooing? Um, actually, our museum director, Margie Hoff, came to me one day and asked me uh, if I could look in the tattoo history of New York and see if there is a story there. And uh, reading a couple of books and uh, just doing field research, I easily realized there is a, a great story to tell, and New York has played such a significant role in the development of modern tattooing. How far back did you trace tattooing? Our exhibit traces tattooing uh, all the way to the early 1700s when Native Americans uh, used to tattoo themselves to celebrate war victories for uh, ritualistic purposes, for medicinal purposes, and they even used tattoos as personal signatures, as demonstrated by a fur trade account from uh, uh, 1706, Uh, where a Seneca warrior um, traces the tattoos he has on his body um, on on his contract uh, with a Dutch trader. Long before the needle, right? The needle that we know today. Oh, right. Right. So uh, long before the the invention of the tattoo machine. Um, But uh, the manual tattooing practice uh, has also long history in New York City. Martin Hildebrandt was a German immigrant who um, tattooed soldiers on both sides of the Civil War, and he is known to have opened the first permanent tattoo shop in uh, in New York City. As, and where was that located? Uh, that was located on the, I guess what is today, Lower East Side, um, on Water Street and Oak Street. Um, New York Times in 1876 has a wonderful article on him, and the title of the article is A Visit Paid to the Artist. So even at the time, tattooers were seen as as artists, I suppose. Among what populations were tattoos popular with in the early days? Uh, At the time, um, tattoos were popular on uh, sailors, on soldiers, so people who were serving the country or were adventuring on the high seas. Uh, They were also becoming popular with the sideshow attractions, in particular the sideshow tattooed ladies. Uh, You have names like Lady Viola, the most beautiful tattooed lady in the world, and the list goes on. What were among the more popular tattoos then in the late 1800s, among the sailors, for instance? Um, Among the sailors, superstition and adventure uh, played an important role in the development of sailor tattoo imagery in 1800s. Um, you have the popular pig and rooster tattoos that were uh, uh, often being tattooed on the sailor's feet, um, and they were known to protect the sailor from drowning. You also have a lot of patriotic imagery, Lady Columbia, for example. Um, you have tattoos uh, commemorating lost ones. You have tattoos like Homeward Bound, uh, which is a design of a full-rigged ship. 
uh, meant to symbolize the sailor uh, traveling around the world, traveling around Cape Horn and hoping to return home. At one time in New York City, tattoos were particularly popular among high society, right? Even folks like R.H. Macy of the department store fame Mm -hmm. had a tattoo. Uh, Yes, the tattoo fashion fad in New York is known to have spread from uh, British royalty and other royal houses of Europe. The kings and princes used to travel to Jerusalem to get uh, uh, various Christian uh, theme tattoos as well as Japan. Uh, so you have the case of uh, Prince Edward or Prince George, future George V, who came back to London sporting dragons and other sort of Japanese imagery. Um, obviously, the New York uh, high society followed suit, uh, and you have reports of Vanderbilt hairs being tattooed, the uh, members of the New York Tennis and Racquet Club being tattooed, R.H. Macy, as you just said, but his story is also related to the sailors, having been a sailor himself. Dorothy Parker. Parker. Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt had a tattoo? Uh, Allegedly, uh, from what we read, he may have sported the family crest on his chest. At some point, though, tattoos fell out of favor, right, in New York City? Tattoos have often been seen as controversial, despite their arrival as uh, high fashion elements, uh, despite uh, uh, having found their way on various public figures, as we discussed. Tattoos did um, end up having a less than stellar uh, reputation. Um, And uh, after uh, World War II, they seem to have uh, fallen out of fashion and having been embraced by uh, gang members, New York photographer Bruce Davidson has uh, beautifully captured um, tattoos on gang members such as his series from 1959 when he documents the life of uh, the Joker's gang uh, from uh, Brooklyn. There was a time when tattooing was illegal in New York City, and I think a lot of people will be surprised to learn, perhaps for the first time, I actually was surprised to learn that tattooing was illegal for some 40 years, and it was only in the late 1990s that it became legal again. Uh, Tattooing uh, was banned in 1961 in in New York City, and there are various accounts, uh, the official line being uh, hepatitis scare and outbreak, Um, Once the ban was instituted, tattoo artists, uh, some moved out of the city, some worked right on the outskirts, for example, in in Long Island or uh, in Mount Vernon, Uh, and there were quite a few who kept working in their apartments uh, or uh, in various shop settings. For example, Tony Danessa was a tattoo artist who worked out of a carpentry shop in Midtown Manhattan, and... uh, he was carrying his designs on window blinds, on window shades. Uh, this was a very uh, innovative, smart way to, to display your designs, but also to hide them in case an inspector would come in. And we have one, one of his window shades in, in our uh, exhibit. That's fantastic. So walk us around the exhibit. Here we are. We start in deep local roots. This takes us back to the Native Americans. Right. Uh, we begin our story with some of the earliest uh, documented accounts of Native American tattooing, including this fur trader's account book from early 1700s that has a pictograph of a Seneca warrior's uh, 
tattoos, and the pictograph stands as his personal signature. Uh, we have uh, the series of mezzotints uh, of the four Indian kings. And uh, again, some of the tattoo designs you see here uh, represent uh, protective spirits, uh, monitors, uh, bird-like uh, plumage designs, um, and, and there are a few more. We also look at, uh, at other Western representations of uh, Native American body art in 1800s, the idea of the, of the noble savage, which often comes with uh, tattoos. Uh, and then we have uh, one of the very few and probably the earliest depiction of Native American body art by a Native American, David Kusick, a wonderful watercolor from uh, our very own collection. Um, as we move forward in this, um, I didn't say like the three parts of the show. The narrative of Tattooed New York is divided into three sections. A mark of identity explores the uh, meaning and symbolism behind tattoos from the perspective of four groups, Native Americans, sailors and soldiers, women and subcultures. Um, this um, retrospective uh, is organized chronologically and then you have chronologies within chronologies. The heart of the show, tattooing as craft art and business, uh, celebrates New York City as the birthplace of modern tattooing. Uh, we speak about the invention of the electric the tattoo electric machine uh, in 1899 by Samuel O'Reilly, an invention based on Thomas Edison's uh, electric pen. Uh, we look at the Bowery becoming the heart of New York tattooing, the early 20th century tattoo artists, um, and, uh, and the Ben uh, era, which lasted 35 years. Within the Ban era, we also look at the new visions, new artists who brought fresh visual influences to the tattoo vocabulary. Um, and in going mainstream, in the last part of the show, uh, we look at tattooing having arrived in mainstream culture, in, muse in museums, in galleries. Uh, we look at skin as simply uh, another canvas, um, and we end with the powerful stories tattoos tell. Um, Pretty much the beginning and the end of the show are dedicated to identity, and, and, and identity bookmarks the show. At the very end, we look at 9-11 uh, inspired tattoos, uh, breast cancer survivor tattoos, and heritage pride tattoos. So in a way, we bring back some of the uh, groups we, we discussed in the, in the beginning. No question, a lot of firefighters and police officers after 9-11 got inked to remember their fallen comrades. Right. In 2003, Historic Richmond Town Society on, on Staten Island has put up an exhibit um, documenting um, quite a few of, of these tattoos. Um, and we have a few examples in our exhibit. Um, what I found interesting is that nowadays the, the children of the victims of the 9-11 attacks are coming of age and are getting tattooed in memory of, of the lost family members. Um, in the sailor and, Sailors and Soldiers story, we look at uh, tattoos used as symbols of protection and identification. Uh, early American sailors used to um, record their tattoos in protection certificates issued by the government. Um, along with other identifying information, their name, date of birth, and so on, uh, the tattoos offered a second layer of protection in, uh, in case uh, of 
impressment in the uh, British Royal Navy. Were the early tattoos largely in just black or were they in color as well? Um, the early tattoos from uh, 1800s are known to have been done in, in black, uh, in the finest India ink, uh, and with various amounts of shading. Uh, by late 1800s, uh, we know there are a few existing colors, in particular red, uh, green, and blue. There are some accounts of Japanese artists coming to New York uh, in 1905, 1906, and bringing um, about half a dozen of, of colors with them, of pigments. Um, again, in the sailor area, we, we look at patriotic tattoo designs. We look at the pinups, which became... Uh, quintessential uh, symbol of having served in the army. Um, and in 1909, the U.S. Navy actually instituted a ban on these naughty body tattoos uh, to the point tattoo artists were actually making a good living by having them covered up with various other designs. You see here bald eagles, uh, Dogs, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why there's a seal there, but now I just see it in <laughs> a turtle. Uh, this is the area, again, dedicated to tattoo designs inspired by popular culture. Um, and you can see the woman clinging to a cross in the stormy seas, a design inspired by a religious anthem and by a painting by Joseph Ortel from mid-1800s. Uh, by World War I, you have the Rose of No Man's Land, uh, which is, again, an anthem dedicated to the nurses of World War I. Uh, tattoo artists uh, definitely were fine-tuned to what was going on in the world, and they embraced this design. Um, you have Pharaoh's horses um, and designs inspired by uh, Greek myths, um, such as uh, the Helios, the Greek sun god. Um, a lot of uh, action in these designs, as you see there. <laughs> um, you know, horses storming into into the into the sea, or or as as I just mentioned, the the stormy seas and the helpless woman. Here you have your focus on women and tattoos. Was it controversial for women to get tattoos in the early days? Um, the history of uh, Native American tattoos and sailor tattoos, bo both of them converge into the women's narrative uh, regarding tattoos. The early tattooed women were inspired by sideshow uh, tattooed sailors, such as the uh, Captain Costantinus, the Greek Albanian, later on the Great Omi, um, and by the narrative of Olive Oatman. Uh, Olive Oatman uh, uh, was captured by the Yavapai Indians in mid-1800s, and uh, she was sold to the Mojave and, and tattooed on her chin. The tattoos were meant to protect her in the afterlife. Uh, after her, uh, being freed, uh, she uh, arrived to New York and uh, wrote a book, gave lectures, and her story uh, became known na nationwide. And allegedly, she inspired uh, various uh, sideshow tattooed ladies with her story of capture. Nora Hildebrand uh, is known to be uh, the first uh, sideshow tattooed ladies and her story involved uh, being captured by Sitting Bull and uh, being tattooed uh, under, under pain of death for three, 365 days by her father. Um, Irene Woodward's 
narrative in the sideshow, in the spectacle, involves having been tattooed by her father as a measure of protection from being captured by the Indians. By 1930s, you have the, the, the narratives of the sideshow ladies uh, change to the point they involve love affairs, one falling in love with a tattoo artist and running away from home. But uh, what's interesting is that even though they were obviously seen as oddities, the sideshow tattooed women, they were making a living and they were independent and we can look at, at their tattoos as an early sign of, of empowerment. Who was Mildred Hall? Mildred Hall um, is known to have been the first woman tattoo artist to operate a tattoo shop on the Bowery. Um, it was called Tattoo Emporium uh, at 16 Bowery, and uh, uh, she was also operating it with her business partner, partner Tommy Lee. Here she is depicted by Ace Harlan in uh, 1939 um, as being tattooed by Charlie uh, Wagner, Samuel O'Reilly's apprentice and one of the uh, early pioneers of modern tattooing in New York City. You have a video here of the Marx Brothers. How do the Marx Brothers feature in this tattoo exhibit? Well, we have the video of Marx Brothers of Olydia from uh, 1939. The sideshow tattooed ladies of uh, uh, early 1900s uh, became so famous uh, that even the Marx Brothers paid homage to them in a film at the circus from 1939. And we have a small excerpt uh, right to the cabinet card display with the tattooed ladies. Lydia, oh Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? Lydia the tattooed lady. She has eyes that folks adore so, and a torso even more so. Lydia, oh Lydia, that encyclopedia. Oh Lydia, the queen of tattoo. On her back is the Battle of Waterloo. Beside it, the wreck of the Hesperus, too. And proudly above waves the red, white, and blue. You can learn a lot from Lydia. So we move in uh, the tattoos as craft business and art area. Um, and we begin with uh, Thomas Edison's electric pen, which he developed and uh, patented in uh, 1876. Uh, Samuel O'Reilly. Um, made a couple of changes and additions to this design and turned it into the first electric uh, tattoo machine uh, with a rotary device. Um, we have a display of tattoo machines, including uh, early machines used for outlining and for, and for shading, um, a display of early tattoo designs and stencils, um, and we dedicate uh, a case uh, to tattoo artists uh, marketing themselves and, and selling their supplies. The electric tattoo machine revolutionized the tattoo business. It made it cheaper, it made it uh, faster, and it really uh, brought up new faces to the business. By early 1900s, 1920s, you have artists setting up shop in um, uh, the basements or, or back rooms of barber shops on the Bowery. Uh, you also have small centers of tattoo business by the Brooklyn Navy Yard on Sand Street. Obviously, uh, that was uh, bringing a steady flow of customers. 
And uh, in the 40s and 50s, you also have artists setting up shop by, uh, in Midtown uh, by the uh, original Madison Square Garden. Coney Island is also a center of tattooing, though mostly seasonal, with tattoo artists working under the rides, setting, again, just small booths. Though the first tattoo artist to open a permanent tattoo shop on Coney Island was Brooklyn Blackie, um, known for the amount of, of black shading he was putting in a tattoo. Um, as, you, as you see here, um, we are trying to convey the Bowery. Uh, thanks to footage from the 1956 documentary on the Bowery, uh, Reginald Marsh tattoo shave haircut, and a statue that was apparently in Charlie Wagner's shop uh, on the Bowery, and the statue itself is, is covered in tattoos. I love that tattoo shave haircut. What a combination there, huh? The tattoo shave haircut captures the elevated track lines on the Bowery, and uh, Willie Moskowitz's uh, barber shop. Willie Moskowitz um, was a um, uh, Yiddish-speaking immigrant from Russia, and uh, he set up a barber shop on the Bowery, um, and he decided to get into tattooing and was called to tattoo by Charlie Wagner, who was, uh, had a shop next door. Uh, Willie would later uh, teach his own sons, Stanley and Walter, to tattoo, and they became known as the Bowery Boys. At the center of the Bowery section, we have Norman Rockwell's The Tattoo Artist, which is an emblematic painting <laughs> in the history of tattooing. And we have surrounded it with artwork by tattoo artists from the Bowery. Uh, I, I call it a family tree of tattoo artists. You can see how they stole or traded uh, secrets, trade secrets, uh, and how they competed for business. So this was a bit like urban archaeology, I call it, because each piece of art uh, comes from, from a different co private collector. Um, and I look at it as a way of reconstructing history. Uh, a lot of the tattoo history has survived through oral histories um, and has been passed around from one artist to the other. That said, how painstaking was your research? The tattoo community of New York has fully embraced me as I was putting this show together, and we had a scholarly panel um, helping me. Um, the research for the show involved visiting many tattoo parlors uh, all throughout the city, uh, visiting tattoo artists um, who um, tattooed during the ban era, uh, and digging through people's private collections, basements. <laughs> um, and, um, it, you know, it, it was quite a joy to uh, find such rare things and uh, bring them to the, you know, to be seen by the public at large. For example, uh, as we finish with the uh, family tree of Bowery tattoo artists, which also speaks of a greater New York style, we move into the Ban era, and the way we uh, decided to speak of the Ban era is by creating a diorama with various pieces from various tattoo artists who worked during the ban. Uh, you have photography from some of the tattoo studios operating in the tattoo artists' apartments, uh, such as Tom DeVita and Mike Bacchetti. Uh, but then uh, you have various artifacts from artists who operated in, in Brooklyn, like Tony Polito in his old Kolkata shop. We have his workstation and, and machine and 
lamp and, and sketches. You have the window blind shade from Tony Donessa's shop in Midtown. Um, you have a design from uh, Mike Perfetto along with his shop sign that says designs by Mich Michelangelo. A lot like Prohibition, wasn't it? Uh, it seems the business wasn't as um, firmly regulated by, by the city as the, the story makes it. Uh, there are just a couple of accounts of tattoo artists being arrested for tattooing. Owning apparently a shop wasn't the legal part. It was the actual act of tattooing. Um, what I found fascinating about the t tattoo studios functioning in, uh, in the artist's apartments is this idea of the studios being considered sacred places by everyone who is coming in. And you have stories of businessmen and bikers and cops uh, coming together in these uh, sacred spaces and, and waiting in line to being tattooed and uh, respectfully of, of one another. Um, across the traditional New York style, the Rockwell painting and the early 20th century, we have what we call new visions. Uh, by 1970s, um, you have some academically trained uh, artists working on skin. Um, you have Ed Hardy uh, from the West Coast, whose influence is felt in New York. Um, and, and you have, as I said, a new visual vocabularies at work, either inspired by Japanese tattooing or Polynesian, or what Ed Hardy called new tribalism. These artists are also connected somehow, and they feel each other's presence. And just like the early 20th century ones, uh, there are interesting connections between them. Two of my favorite pieces in the show are The Big Panther by Mike Bacchetti on fiberglass and uh, Ruth Marden Marcus on heads from the 1970s. There's the tattoo exhibit of the American Folk Art Museum that opened in 1971. Um, we just pay respects to it with a photograph from inside the show. And if you look carefully at this image, you can see that there are only women in this shot of the gallery. And it's 1971. I feel uh, this is when tattoos are really fully embraced by women as signs of, of empowerment, as signs of claiming their bodies. So we arrive in uh, present-day New York, where we have over 250 tattoo studios and artists with various backgrounds, uh, quite a few of them academically trained and quite a few of them working in, in other mediums. Um, we have these beautiful panels, uh, photography capturing tattooed bodies, and it's, it's a small... Uh, curatorial choice. There are six of these panels, but four of them show the work of four women tattoo artists. And it's another way to say that women are now a stronghold in this industry that was very much male-centric. So in this area, we have artwork in, in various mediums by tattoo artists. We have uh, fashion pieces, um, even tattooed fruit, sculptural pieces, um, and artwork by tattoo artists from New York, and from around the world. And again, tattoo artists will always be inspired by other art forms, and in return, they'll inspire other art forms. So we arrive, as I said, the stories they tell subsection, which is uh, a nod to the early, uh, to the start of the show. And we look at heritage pride tattoos uh, with selections from an exhibit uh, that opened at the Iroquois Indian Museum in 2013. 
the 2003 Indelible Memory September 11 Memorial Tattoos exhibit from historic Richmond Town, and then our very own addition to this discourse, which are the um, breast cancer survivor tattoos. And we, we paired these images with quotes from the clients. It's really powerful to powerful read the words. Yeah, here's one, someone who got inked after 9-11. I guess I wanted to do something to commemorate not just my buddy Leon, but all who were lost that day. Really, you understand a lot of why someone decides to get a tattoo. Right. I just uh, let the the quotes speak, and, and I, I let the, the, the image and the words of the client do the, do the talking. So now the big question, do you have a tattoo? Uh, yes. I uh, uh, got my first tattoo when I started working on the project, um, and I got it in memory of my mother. Um, it felt like a personal reason, felt to be the right way uh, into the story. Um, so I got my first one when I started working on it, and I got my second one um, just before we opened the show, uh, which my, with my naturalization and um, uh, place and date. Had you not done this exhibit, would you have gotten those tattoos? I don't think so. I kept flirting with the idea of having a tattoo done in memory of my mother, but uh, the exhibit definitely worked as a strong incentive to, to get it done. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Christian Petru Panayate is the curator of Tattooed New York at the New York Historical Society. It's on display through April 30th. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. You know, some people still don't get podcasts, what's out there and how to listen. You can help change that with a click. Right now, think of someone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Tell them about it in real life or on social media. And if they don't know about podcasts, show them how. Tell us what you recommend with the hashtag TriPod. That's T-R-Y-Pod. And thanks for spreading the word. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to Cityscape producers Claire Drake and Zach Salas.